Hey, let's get started. Um, have you ever had someone in your life that you just feel like you can't measure up to? Like they are, they are just the best. Like no matter what they do, they're just amazing. They just have awesome sauce dripping off them all the time. Like it may be someone you work with or maybe a friend or maybe it's a sibling and that becomes an issue or maybe it's a family member, whatever that looks like. But it's like everything they touch just turns to gold. And like no matter how hard you try, it's like everyone looking at you is like, why can't you be more like them? Maybe that was your childhood or maybe that is now, right now. Have you ever had a, a situation like that or have a, a feeling like that? Some of you are like, no, and they're like, well, it's probably you then, but um, it's probably you. But uh, Mark Twain said this once, and I love Mark Twain. He said this, few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. Mark Twain also said this, and I think it's super funny. I'm from Kentucky. He says, when the end of the world comes, I want to be in Kentucky because they're 20 years behind everything. So it's perfect. But anyway... It's annoying sometimes when you have these great examples. Well, today we are concluding our journey through Hebrews 11, this series we call By Faith, where we've been looking at these Old Testament heroes. And if you look at your Bible or you've been around Christianity long enough, people have called this section of the Bible the heroes of faith or the hall of fame of heroes. And if we're not careful, what we do is we prop these Old Testament biblical characters up as perfect. And these are examples that we need to follow. And we realize in life, we fall short of it. And it feels like what Mark Twain said, kind of annoying, if we got really honest. Am I right? Well, interesting enough, if you look in Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews only gives the good parts of their lives and not the bad parts of their lives. And I think right there is a gospel clue for us all to pick up on is this. If life is less about what you do and more about what you will be remembered for. I think that's what Hebrews 11 is teaching us. These heroes were not remembered for their flaws. They were remembered for their faith. Their flaws, yes, they are recorded in the Bible in all their splendid glory, uh, but when it's all said and done, all they are remembered by is their faith. And faith is an interesting thing. Notice that faith is not in oneself. Faith is in an object, and this object, that's the, the strength of our faith, the object, not in the faith that we have. But I've probably gotten a little ahead of myself. Uh, let me set up what we're going to go through over the next 40-ish minutes. Um, I want to share with you a people group that doubted God for 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, I want to tell you about a a pagan prostitute. Uh, I want to tell you about a skeptic that wouldn't budge without a sign from God or a guy that would be talking to fighting because he lacked courage or an impulsive dad who who, uh, made a stupid vow to God and ended up killing his own daughter or a sexual promiscuous guy who was weak at the knees for the ladies, an adulterer who got a gal pregnant and just like in good soap opera fashion ended up plotting this murder and having her husband killed and a bunch of people that were mistreated horrifically. Sound great, right? Oh, yeah. And all of them lived by faith. Cool. If you've got a Bible, go to Hebrews 11, because that's what we're going to look at today. You're like, man, this is a cheery message. It actually is. Hebrews 11. Uh, if you don't have a Bible here at Grace Point Church, we're going to say you need a Bible. We lead, teach, and preach from it here. And so we want you to have one. Um, and we have those in English and Spanish on these tables up here in front, also at Centerpoint. If you download uh, version on your phone, click events, all the Grace Point Church stuff will pop up. You get to see the fun notes and all that good stuff. Uh, so today we're going to look at what I'm calling the rest of them. This is the rest of the peop- uh, people in uh, Hebrews 11 that he's going to talk about. And I'm going to walk through each story and just kind of retell a little bit of the Old Testament story. I really hope it's just kind of an appetizer for you to want more to where you grab your Bible and open it up and read the Old Testament and really get to you know, unearth what's going on in these 
with these people in the Old Testament. But uh, from all this today, we're going to get some really good news. One, God can be trusted, period, the end. And two, God uses really messed up people and really messed up situations in his plan. And for us, that should be highly encouraging, for me anyway. So we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 30, Are you? or chapter 11, verse 30. Are you there? All right, let's get going. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. So he starts with the same thing he's been saying all along, by faith. Uh, but now he's talking about the walls of Jericho. And so let me kind of set up what's going on here. Uh, you remember, if you were here last week, Moses led his people out of Egypt. They've been in slavery for like 400 years, and they're out in, in the wilderness, and God has promised them a promised land. Well, they kind of get to the promised land, and the people of God, Moses, they send out like 12 spies to go look at the promised land. The 12 spies go kind of scope it out. They come back. Ten of them are shaking in their boots. They're like, man, we've seen these people out there. They're bigger than us. They make us look like bugs. Like, we just can't go in there. This is bad. But then the two of them, Joshua and Caleb, they came back and gave a great report. Like, hey, man, this, this place is great. They've got grapes. They've got milk. They've got honey. They've got all this great stuff there. Let's take it. And then the people are like, oh, no, we can't do this. They're like, wait, God told us that he would fight for us, and so let's go take this land. But they were disobedient, and they didn't. So they wandered around for 40 years. Remember that? Like, the whole generation died off except for Joshua and Caleb. This story bugs me just a little bit, and I think it's appropriate in a very uh, reverent way to say stories of the Bible bug you a little bit, because I'm like, Moses didn't get to go into the promised land, and Moses had to deal with these people, and if you read any of that story, it's like Moses was a baller at times, and yet he couldn't go into the promised land, but it is what it is. Nonetheless, they didn't go. So 40 years go past. They get there again, and they see the walls of Jericho, this big city there. And so Joshua himself, which is taking over leadership, Moses, he's like, I'm going to go check this thing out. We're going to take over this place because God told us we can. So you kind of got the story in mind. Now, when you rewind a little bit from Hebrews 11, you get into the book of Joshua. So I'm going to be in Joshua 5, and I'm going to read what happens when he goes and to, to scope out this, um, this whole city here. Joshua 5:13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or are you our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Now watch what Joshua does. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, from the place where you were standing is holy. Joshua did so. All right. Are, are we, we're kind of picking up some clues he's putting down here. What's going on here? What's happening here? Well, Joshua meets this man named the army of the, uh, or the commander of the Lord's army. Who is that? Well, some people say it's an angel, maybe. Some people call it a theophany, which is like a, a human appearance of God. But I would argue, lightly, but I would still argue, I think it's what's called a Christophany. You know what a Christophany is? It's an early... Uh, pre-incarnation Jesus coming to, to, uh, to the people of the Old Testament. So I think that's Jesus potentially there. Why would I say that? I, don't, I think it's more than an angel because what, what does jo Joshua do? He worships. And so we're no, we know like, we don't worship angels. And so he worships. And then we have a very striking similar story to someone else in the past. Who is that? Why is that? 
because he said, take off your shoes because this is holy ground. So I think it's, it's either a theophany, it's God, or I think it's more specifically it's Jesus being there with him. Nonetheless, this person gives him a plan on how you're going to defeat the city. And the plan that this person gives him is strange. He says, hey, you're going to take the people, you're going you're gonna to walk around Jericho for six days, one time for six days. Then on the seventh day, you're going to go around seven times, and then you're going to toot your horns, and the place is going to fall. Could you imagine Joshua going back to the people like, hey, guys, I went to Jericho. I was met by the Lord or, you know, the commander of the Lord's army. He gave us a plan. The guys, you know, all the people, they're like, all right, let's get our swords ready. Let's get our shields ready. They're like, no, check this out. This is what we're supposed to do. Everybody put your tracksuit on. We're going to walk around it, mall walk style, around it for you know, six days in a row. On the seventh day, get this, we're going to go around six times, seven times. We're all going to toot our horns. The wall is going to fall. Could you imagine, like, like they're humans. They're, they're like, wait, 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 what, what did God say? Like, what are we going to do? Yeah, totally, this is what's going to happen. And sure enough, uh, they believed him. Now, I think it's interesting, just kind of applying to us, it really does take sometimes one person of faith to believe something of God to really bring people along with him, to really inspire people to faith. And I think Joshua believed that God was going to do this, and he had to go to the people and lead them well, like, hey, I believe God is going to do this. Believe with me in this. I, I love that idea. So nonetheless, they did it, and what happens? The walls fell down, and they conquered uh, They conquered him. It's great. And the writer of Hebrews tells us the simple sentence, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Now, now think about this. Some of you, I mean, you, you understand physics. You understand by blasting some trumpets, walls don't fall, fall down. Some of you have some good military minds out there. You realize this is a terrible strategy to, to conquer a people. You get that. It makes no sense at all, but the reality is, God called them to do that. And even when God calls you to do something and it doesn't make sense, our response is always to what? Trust and obey. Do it. Just do it. If it doesn't make it still, this is what God has called us to do. I think that's been one of the, the minor themes of Hebrews 11 is just trust and obey God no matter what the circumstance is. Why? To distrust God is to not believe, to not trust him, to not have faith. But when we, when we step out and do what he says, no matter how outlandish it sounds like this, it just shows that we are living by faith and trusting him with his promises. And so there's our, our first story. So will we trust God when it doesn't make sense to us? Let me keep going. Verse 31. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Um, uh, the writer's doing something new here. He's, he's out of order because the story of Rahab happens before this. So I, I'm not sure why he's doing this, but he does this a little bit out of order. Uh, he's not hiding her ac occupation. She is a prostitute. Shall I explain? <laughs> you got it? Cool. Not? Ask your mom. Don't Google. Here we go. Um, well, so she happens before this. So Rahab was in Jericho when the walls fell down. The question is, how did Rahab survive? Well, Joshua sends a couple spies into Jericho, and so they slip in through the gates of Jericho, and they don't want to be seen by anybody because they're Hebrew spies, and their intentions are to bring down the house. And so they get in there, and so where should you go to kind of blend in? And they were two dudes. Where should you go to blend in? Well, the brothel would be a perfect place That's because that's where travelers would go. They weren't going there for that intention. They were just trying to 
blend in with everybody. But unfortunately, they were scoped out by someone within the city and were being tailed. They were being followed. And as soon as Rahab uh, saw them, she knew that they were Hebrew spies. And so the jig was up. And so at this point in the story, they should have been caught, probably tortured to try to get information out of them so they know like where everyone's hiding out there and then killed. But then something very interesting happened. So if you're in Joshua, back up just a little bit to Joshua chapter 2. I want you to hear about what's going on with her. This is super cool. This, this prostitute, Rahab, had already heard about God. She says this. She said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. And so she's heard these stories, people traveling in and traveling because that's where people go there. And she had heard these stories. For we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you went, before you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Shion and Og, whom you have devoted to destruction. So she's heard these stories of God, you know, winning their battles for them and God doing miraculous things like parting the Red Sea. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens and above and on the earth beneath. Side note, uh, for this pagan prostitute, uh, this is a huge statement of faith in the one true God. And here's the reason why. Back in that day, especially, you had territorial gods. Every nation, every country had their own gods. When she is declaring that he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath, she is saying he is the God over all gods. He is the God of all. And I, I think that is a, I think it's a faith statement. I think we can clearly say, hey, she had faith. And I think you can look the rest of her life and her, her being talked about later on. She had faith. But like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and the rest of Hebrews 11, she walked by faith and not by sight. Her two eyes had never seen all that Lord has done. She's only heard of it. And she believed and staked her life upon this God, this God doing these impossible things out there. So by faith, Rahab asked the spies to guarantee her life and her family's life uh, when they come and destroy the city because by faith, she knew that God would keep his promise and give them that city. And so she said, hey, would you guys spare me and my family? And they said, we will. And he's like, how will we know like, that, that it's you? And you're, you're, you know, how will we put this together? How will the conquering people know this? She's like, I will put a scarlet cord outside of my home. And then you will know everyone inside there is covered by those, uh, that's covered by the, when the little scarlet cord is out there. It's like a scarlet rope. And you know what color scarlet is, right? Yeah, it's red. And so, okay, now we start hearing this. We're like, oh, what, is, what does this mean? Like, you know, what, like, what happens with, why is it red? Um, I, I think it points to two things, maybe, perhaps. One, when they conquered the walls, like the walls fell and they go in, when the uh, conquerors would see that red rope, they would pass over her house. Does that remind you of anything? Yes, just like uh, the Passover when, you know, the angel of death saw the blood of the lamb on the doorframe at Passover. And perhaps, I don't want to be too allegorical on this, but perhaps uh, this is a, a further pointing of Jesus later on, the crimson red coming, coming down, like they be his blood that we we're covered. So maybe, maybe not. But um, from that, she was saved and her family was saved because they kept their promise and God kept his promise. And so now she's a part of God's people. Now think about these two stories together, Joshua and Rahab, two completely polar opposite people, right? And think about Joshua. He was a man, 
an Israelite. He was Moses' successor. He was the leader of, of all of Israel. And then Rahab was a woman, uh, a member of the cursed Amorite race. The Israelites hated them. She was a you know, Gentile, a prostitute, and a citizen of a condemned city. Yet they had the most important thing in common. By faith, they believed the Lord and trusted his power to save. That's what they had in common. I mean, think about it. When you get to the end of Hebrews chapter 11, she is the last person he commentates on. The rest are just kind of footnotes. And so like the last person spoke about in Hebrews 11 is a Gentile prostitute woman. Like that is like, that, that should kind of rattle us a little bit, especially in those time periods. That is just amazing right there that any sinner can, can live by faith and please God. No one is outside of God's reach. Not even this woman living that lifestyle away from him with those people. Do you realize that? No one is outside the reach of God's grace. And you may say, well, Ty, you don't know my past. No, I don't know your past. But guess who does know it? Like God knows your past. I, I know that those who, who hold on to their past typically have no future. And, and, and God is the one who can erase past and change past and all that to where you can have a present and a now, because I'm sure Rahab had a pretty scandalous past. I'm sure you could hear stories from Rahab that would make your toes curl. And yet she has a future. That's what living by faith does. It gives us a hope now and a hope in a future. That's the, that's the beauty of all of this. Now, how big of a deal is Rahab? Did you know she gets a lot of mention in the New Testament? James, the book of James, props her up as a person that lived by faith. Not only that, Rahab shows up in the genealogy of Jesus. As a matter of fact, she married an Israelite, and from the, that marriage became a baby, and from that baby all the way down would be in Jesus' lineage. Like, from Rahab, we get Jesus. Right? Some of us sit here and say, well, God can never use me. He can use Rahab. And Moses, which was a murderer as well. But we get it anyway. Like, anyone marvel. I just want us to marvel at God's grace of how good he is. So I'm telling you, some of us, it's honestly, and this is me just loving you well, it's honestly, we are so prideful sometimes. God could never save me. God could never fix me. Who do you think you are? <laughs> like, he can. Anyway, uh, now like a good preacher running out of time, the author of Hebrews starts to um, start rolling through the people. Like, I mean, he's just like putting a ton of information at the end because he's got to land this plane very soon. And mind you, we have to keep in mind why he's writing this. If you've been with us every week, I've been reminding us week after week after week. The reason why the writer of Hebrews is writing this is because the Christians there who used to be Jewish uh, are facing a lot of persecution from their Jewish brothers and sisters and Rome uh, to turn back to Judaism because Judaism, uh, Judaism is an acceptable religion under the Roman Empire, but Christianity is not. And so they're facing all this persecution, and the author is showing them all these Old Testament people so they will not walk away from Jesus. Got that? That's the whole reason why. Now we get into verse 32. You still with me? Uh, what more shall I say? For time would fail, would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets. So let's, let's kind of walk through them one by one. Gideon. Gideon's found in the book of Judges. Gideon was going to go fight a war. Uh, he started with 32,000 soldiers, and God whittled it down to 300. And obeying God's command, he armed with torches of these clay in these clay jars, when the trumpets were blown, he smashed the clay jars and got through the enemies into confusion. They all kind of battled each other, and God's people won. Hooray, right? That's Gideon. But Gideon was also the guy who was like, I'm not making a move until I see a sign from God. Any people in here like that? 
That, you ever read Gideon's story? It's, just, it's like he keeps like, what about now, God? What about now? Now? Like, I need another son. That's Gideon. Uh, what about Barak? Barak, he's in the book of Judges. Uh, he was spurred on by the prophetess Deborah. He led the United Tribes in their victory uh, against Canaan and all that. He basically didn't want to go fight. Uh, he needed a good nudge shove from Deborah to get out there and be courageous for the Lord. Sometimes we just need a good nudge from a brother or sister to push us on and urge us in the Lord, don't we? Okay. The next one, Samson. He's in the book of Judges as well. And here's my question about Samson. Why is he in Hebrews 11? Is it just me? Well, how did Samson live by faith? His greatest move in life was being captured, having his eyes gouged out, and pushing pillars to where it fell on all, God, on all the God's enemy and himself. There, there's his act of faith. Anybody want to sign up for that one? And as a matter of fact, he was pretty promiscuous, and he was weak at the knees for the ladies. But Samson made it in there. If Samson can make it in there, listen to me, there's hope for us. It's like, this is, I don't know about you all, but Hebrews 11 is like one of the most, it has become one of the most encouraging chapters in the Bible for me, uh, because if he's in there, then we're okay. How about Jephthah? Jephthah, I think I'm saying it right, it's a Hebrew word. He's in the book of Judges as well. This guy got, a, you know, basically kicked out as a young person. He is like, you know, kind of scorned by his family. He's kind of a reject. He becomes the Hebrew Robin Hood, and his time of his very band of misfits together, and basically they call him back into to Israel, like, hey, would you fight for us? He's like, sure. He's like, I'm going to go fight your battles for you. You didn't want me then, but you want me now. And so now he's going back and fighting for Israel on their behalf. And so he, he as before he goes out to battle, he makes this really dumb vow before God. He says, God, when I go out and win this battle, when I come back home, the first thing that walks out that door, I'm going to sacrifice it for you. So he goes, and he does this whole big battle, and he wins. He comes back, and guess who walks out the door? His daughter. Yeah. And so, man, he's just crushed over it. He's like, well, a vow's a vow. He lets her go and mourn her virginity for two months, which is an odd line in the Bible. I hear it when I said it. She comes back, and we believe from the text he, he does that. So talk about being a, a rigid fellow, because God never made him make that vow. Why did he do that? I don't know. Then it goes to David. David, what a guy there. We, we know David. We could talk about him for weeks. He was a shepherd. He was a warrior. He was a poet. He was a, a king. Uh, when you think of David, there's two big stories that emerge, right? And it always is David and somebody. What's the first one? David and? Goliath, man, what a victory. Everybody wants that story. Anytime you watch any sports events, you know, and it's an underdog, it's a very old David and Goliath match here today. You hear that? But then what's the other name he's associated with? Yeah, you talk about the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. I mean, you probably know David and Bathsheba's story. Even if you're not like a church person know the Bible, you probably know like he was, he was a king, kind of settled in his ways. He, later on in life, he's, he's won some battles. His people are out fighting, which he should be with him, and he's not. He's walking around the rooftop like kings do, finds a lady in the nude, like, oh, I like that. And he orders her up, has her come there. He impregnates her, tries to do this whole plot to where like, hey, let's get her husband to come back for a month, and that way he'll think it's his child. The guy comes back, has great character and integrity, says, I'm not sleeping with you because all the soldiers out there, they're not doing that either, so I'm going to you know, take one for the team on this one. And then ends up, there are a couple more things happen, and David's like, enough of this. I'm just going to have him pushed forward in the battle, and then we'll pull back a little bit, and he will get murdered. Is that how the story goes? Something like that. But then David is called what? A man after God's own heart. Jesus is referred to as what? The son of David. You tell me God's not gracious. You tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. But you tell me God's not gracious and merciful 
and kind and the forgetter of sins, David. And it goes Samuel. It's hard to find something bad on Samuel. He had a couple of rowdy boys that kind of turned out bad. Uh, but Samuel uh, kind of followed the Lord from, from birth, like from early on. Samuel was a bold man. He would tell you about uh, God's word no matter the cost or anything like that, really like Samuel. Uh, but when you look at these verses, the names compiled here, you, you see a common theme emerge from just these names here. And, and I think one of the things uh, you see here is you, you see people living by faith when, in a time period when people were not living by faith, when people were just, it was very scarce time. Because a lot of this was during the book of Judges. And a lot of people were not living by faith. They had religion, which was somewhat of a dead religion. And many, many people today have religion, which is a dead religion of like, basically, I go through these rituals. I do these things. I don't even know why I do these things or how I do these things. But like God is far from me, but I just do like spiritual things. That would just be religion where walking by faith is different. It's like I'm communing with God. I'm enjoying God. I'm listening to God. I'm seeing God. I'm doing the things we hear from the Bible over and over and over. But the people of Judges, there was a phrase that is repeated over and over and over. And I think it's the phrase of our day as well. And it goes like this. Judges 21, 25, second half. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That kind of describes our time now, doesn't it? I was watching the Olympics, like five minutes of it, because that's about all I want. It's a winter Olympics, am I right? Anyway, <laughs> that's just me. Okay. And they were skating out there, and, and they were applauding the skating and everything. And it's like, man, they really lived by their truth in that moment. And I looked at Angela like, what does that even mean? It's like, they're, li- they're just skating. Just let it be skating. Anyway, everyone does what is right in their own eye. And that, in a time of judges, was a terrible time. In a time of us as well, it's a terrible time. But yet there's men and women both who lived by faith in those times. And God was faithful to them and good to them and kept his promise to them. And these people were still flawed. I mean, like outlandishly flawed people. John Calvin said this, In every saint there is always to be found something reprehensible. Nevertheless, although faith may be imperfect and incomplete, it does not cease to be approved by God. Do you hear that? Calvin nailed it. There is no reason, therefore, why the fault from which we labor should break us or discourage us, provided we go on by faith in the race of our calling. Meaning, don't give up. Don't give up. There is hope for every one of every man, woman, and child. There is hope for you. You are not too far gone. You are not outside the reach of God's grace. And, bonus, God can still use you. Now, the author switches from names. Now he's going to well-known deeds. Verse 33, you still with me? Okay, verse 33. It's a lot of story, isn't it? I mean, we could like break this down in like a whole eight-week series. Verse 33. Who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lying. So we know that God allowed people to win battles. That would be the conquered kingdom. David did. Gideon did. The list goes on and on. But really, when you think about it, anyone can win battles. People win battles all the time. And it's not like, you know, they're doing it on God's behalf. What's the difference? And I think that next line after conquered kingdoms, it says enforced justice. And, and the idea is when you conquer kingdom, the enforced justice, and if you look at the Greek word, it means to, to enact righteousness. The reason why, or the, sh- the reason should be in the Old Testament times where they were conquering kingdoms was to enforce justice, to be a righteous people and to install the righteousness of God with the people there. God, that's the mark of godly leadership. Now, the text goes on, it says, obtain promises, which we know Raham obtained the promise of not dying, and David obtained the promise of being the king. So 
There, there was a, a lot of people received promises in their lifetime. It goes on in verse 33 at the bottom. It says, stop the mouths of lions. Well, if you know the Old Testament, Samson, he stopped the mouth of a lion, right? And then David uh, stopped the mouth of a lion as well. There's a guy named Benaiah who stopped the mouth of a lion as well. But I think he's talking about Daniel. Remember the story of Daniel? Daniel's a pretty famous story in the Old Testament. Daniel was a a lover of God, and yet got taken off into Babylonian captivity where he became a eunuch. And if you know what a eunuch means, it means he was castrated. Just want to put that out there. And it's horrible. It's horrible. Anyway, so, but he still loved God and still kept on keeping on. And one of the things he would do is he would pray to God all the time, pray to God, but go to his window and pray to God and pray to God. And there became this rule that went down and said, hey, you can no longer do that. You can't pray to God anymore. If you pray, then you're going to be thrown into the lion's den. And Daniel's like, well, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I talked to God, so I'm going to pray to God. And sure enough, he got sent into the lion's den. And what happened to him? Nothing. And we believe that God, the Bible says that God stopped the mouths of the lions. Uh, and so the, the chapter, th- uh, chapter 11 goes on, verse 34, because there's a connected story right there. It says, quench the power of fire. Who are we talking about right there? Same people with, da- with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or as my nine-year-old daughter likes to say, Shadrach, Meshach, and a bean burrito. But that's who it was. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. <laughs> Every time you hear it now, you're going to say bean burrito. Shadrach, Meshach, and a bean burrito. Anyway, their king, King Nebuchadnezzar, made a law at that time to where you had to bow to him and, and swear allegiance to him. And if you didn't, there was a big statue, and inside of it was a furnace. If you didn't bow to him and give allegiance to him, you'd be burned by the fire. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Bean Burrito said, no, like we're not doing it. We only bow our knee to God. And they're like, well, you got to go in the fire. And so they're stoking the fire really hot. They take them in there. Even the people that are taking them in there burn up. And they go, before they go in there, they say something so baller. It's amazing. They say basically this, God may save us or he may not save us. But at the end of the day, I want you all to know we didn't bow a knee to you. And I just love that because it's like savage right there. We don't care. But anyway, they go into the fire. There was three of them that went in. But guess what happened? Inside the fire, there's the fourth person. Who is that? That's what I think. But I could be wrong. But I think it's Jesus. But the reality was, just like with Daniel, there was no compromise. We will not com- compromise our faith in God. Back in verse 34, it says, escape the edge of the sword. You can pick your many people from the Old Testament in that, David, Elijah, Elisha, God spared them. You can see where it says, we're made strong out of weakness. That's anybody who God uses. Maybe he's pointing to Samson there as well. I don't know. But that would be anyone who God uses. Became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. That covers a ton of the Old Testament as well. Verse 35, first part of it says, women received back their dead by resurrection. Uh, Perhaps he's talking about Elijah and his protege, Elisha. Not confusing. Remember that scene where widows had a son that died and he stretched out over three times, not weird, and then like came back to life? And so it's happened a couple of different times there. Um, but yeah, they, they, they came back to life. And so women received back their dead. Let's take a time out. I think we need to pause. Let's slow this down a little bit. Let's turn on the slow down a little bit. If you read all this so far that we've went through, it looks like God is only for victory. Like God is the God of winning. And if God is the God of winning, then perhaps he must only choose winners. And so if we're not careful, we read this and like, man, I feel like a loser. And my life does not look like hashtag winning. It looks like hashtag losing all the time. And so God must not be for me because all I do is lose. 
or all I do is suffer, or all I do is am met by trials. And so apparently God is either not with me, or God is not for me, or God doesn't like me, or I'm not good enough, and I need to really up my good game in order for God to create some winning in my life. Can, can you kind of surmise that a little bit from this? If you're not careful, I, I think so. I think so. What do we do? I think we should keep reading. Verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Wait a minute. That sounds like losing language right there. The author is getting ready to make a transition, and he is showing his recipients and us as well the simple but profound truth. Your deliverance may not be in this lifetime. Can I say that again so make sure we hear it? And this is not the person beside you, and this is not an ethereal statement. Your deliverance from whatever it is may not, possibly not, probably will not happen in this lifetime. Try another. You will probably not live your best life now. Try that one more time. Your life may end painfully, full of suffering, full of loss, full of trials, full of hardships. Question, will you still walk with Jesus or will you walk away? Listen, listen, listen. I've been a pastor at Grace Point Church for 15 years now. And it breaks my heart of the scores of people I've seen walk away. Not just walk away from Grace Point Church, but I mean walk away. As Paul said, their faith was shipwrecked, meaning abandoned their faith. I can give you name after name after name after name. Why? Because following Jesus became uncomfortable. And following Jesus, the, the epic and awesome and amazing had worn off. And it's not as fun anymore. Or someone said something I didn't like. Or friendships were tough. Or whatever that is. I've seen many, many people walk away from Jesus. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Why will you be any different? Because see, that's the point the author is trying to make here, especially as he goes through all this. You may not receive the promise now. You may receive what feels like the curse now. But the promise is guaranteed for the second life, the life in Christ, with Christ, and eternity. We may get parts of it now. We may not. If we're not careful, some of us think, you know what, I trusted Jesus, I went to church, I did the right things, I expect, I deserve trouble-free, pain-free life, you will be sorely mistaken when suffering happens. You will. You absolutely will. Listen to it again. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Hold that thought. Let me give you some more of this. Verse 36. Others suffered mocking, being mocked is not fun. Flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. I mean, that's cheery news, right? So, uh, remember Isaiah the prophet? How did Isaiah the prophet die? The Bible doesn't tell us. However, history points to he was sawn in two. You won't get a more faithful guy than that. The prophet Isaiah, he got into a visual of the throne room of God. He went to the people of God and spoke on behalf of God and did, it looks like, everything right. And you know how his life ended? Sawn in two. Not like Harry Houdini style in the box, like gruesomely. Sawn in two. Jesus, he talks about Jerusalem was a place 
that prophets go and get stoned. Not 420. I'm talking about rocks thrown at you. Jesus said, hey, that's what we're good at around here, just stoning the prophets. Even chains and imprisonment, they were stoned. He says, skins of sheep and goat right here. What does that mean? That means poverty. That means mistreatment. That means just people despising you. Some of you signed up for Christianity. Like, whoa, 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 I didn't know I signed up for that. Potentially, potentially. Now, go, go back to verse 35. He says, some were tortured, refusing, uh, refused to be, accept relief. What is he talking about right there? All right, bear with me on this. Um, there's an intertestamental period, about 400 years of silence between Malachi or Malachi, however you want to say it, and Matthew. There's about 400 years of God being silent. In the middle there, we have what uh, some of you from uh, Catholic tradition call the Apocrypha. You know what I'm talking about? The intertestamental period, uh, there's some writings in between there of like the history of God's people. Now, we don't see it as a canonical addition to our Bible, but we do think they're historically helpful, meaning we don't see them as those inspired words of God, but we see them as very important to the history of God's people. Make sense? I just want to lay that foundation. That's what I think they're referring to. There's this story in, uh, I think it's 2 Maccabeans uh, chapter 7. It relates uh, to this story of seven sons and a mother. And the, t- the, the emperor at the time was a horrible person. And he was making people recant their faith in God. They were saying, hey, you've got to turn away from God. You can't trust God. And you need to come and verbally say, I don't trust God. I trust you. Basically, he had set himself up as a God. So this is bad business. And so this mother with her seven sons, they all go there. And this, she tells her seven sons, don't you turn away from God, no matter what happens. Now, don't dehumanize the Bible. If you're a mom there, if you're a parent there, or whatever that looks like, and you know what it's like to look at your sons or your daughters, like you want them to be saved no matter what, am I right? But she's going there saying, no matter what happens, you don't turn away. And so what happened? Well, they started by cutting off their tongues and scalping some and cutting off their limbs. And eventually, they got a big frying pan and a big pot of water and started to boil it up and pitched them in there. And they got to the last son, and the mom's like, don't you turn away from God. You keep trusting him. Now, question, what would drive a person to say that? Because we'd be like, you know what? I'll just, I'll just say it, but not believe it in my heart. I've already processed this in my mind. I'm going to say it, but I don't believe it. And Jesus, forgive me. What would drive her to do that? Second Maccabeans chapter 7 says this. Again, this is not inspired scripture. This is historical. I do not know. This is her talking. I do not know how you came into being in my womb. It was not I who gave you life and breath, nor I who set in order the elements within each of you. Therefore, the creator of the world, who shaped the beginning of man and devised the origins of all things, will in his mercy give you life and breath back to you again, since you now forgotten yourselves for the sake of his laws. She said two big things right there. She says, you're going you're gonna to have life again. What's she talking about? Resurrection. Because you have forgotten yourself. It's not about you, and you have remembered the laws of God, meaning you have trusted God. It says right here in Hebrews eleven thirty five, 35, women receive back their dead from resurrection. Why? She said, for a better life. That translation is a better resurrection. What's beyond the grave for us Christians? A better life. Do you hear that? Listen, if we think this life is it, if we live only for this life and for its comforts and for its convenience and for its loves and for all the prizes that we get in this life, we think our hope and everything is in this life, you will not make it. You won't make it. You will not endure to the end. Why? Because suffering will come. Hardships will come. 
pain will come. And so we have to have a higher view that there is a better life out there. Or what she's saying is there is a better resurrection out there that we believe that we will live, we will die, and we'll rise again. And when we rise again, there will be no sin. There will be no hardships. There will be no suffering. There is life beyond this life. Can you hold on to that? Can you see that? Can you live towards that? Listen, this is why the prosperity gospel preachers do not preach Hebrews 11. Let me tell you what. That's like, that ain't happening. Like right there, like we're not doing that. It just, it blows it up. That name it, claim it, this absolutely destroys it because these are faithful people of God who suffered. It says in verse 38, oh man, I'm running out of time. Verse 38, it didn't say that, I said that. <laughs> of whom the world was not worthy, wandering around in deserts and mountains and dens and caves and earth. These men and women were, though unfit, thought unfit by the world because of their faith in God, when in reality, this world, because of its unbelief, was not a fit place for them to live. This world is not a fit place for us as well. If you're in Christ, it's just not. Why would I say something like that? You have to remember Hebrews eleven sixteen. It says this, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. They desire something more than this world can offer. Therefore, I love this, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. It's like, we're not going to receive a kingdom now. The kingdom is to what? It's to come. It says that God's not ashamed of them. I'm gonna, this might be a little bit of an uncomfortable statement, but like when we live by faith, I think it's okay to say that God is proud of us. Is that okay to say? I mean, well, he's a father, right? Like, like we're living by faith all about him. Let, let me keep going, finish this up. Verse 39, gosh. And all these things, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. So he's, he's kind of putting it out there. Not everyone got their promise in that lifetime. Since God had provided something better for us, that's the whole theme of Hebrews, something better for us, that apart from us, meaning us, this side of the cross, they, talking about them, that side of the cross, shall not be made perfect. Now, they did not receive their full promise. The text says God provided something better for us, that apart from us, they, the Old Testament believers, should not be made perfect. What does that mean? I don't know. Let's keep going. I'm kidding. <laughs> I think we, <laughs> I'm kidding. And the last, <laughs> the last word, so we were like, okay, cool. I was like, man, that, I can give that answer. You're cool with that? I don't know. Verse 40, uh, at the end of it, it says made perfect. That word perfection means, I think, it means, it means wholeness or it means fullness. Old Testament or Old Covenant people didn't have the fullness of, God, of, of access to God like we do. Like they're, they're, they were saved by faith, but they didn't have that fullness of access. The sacrifice of Jesus opened up the way for new covenant believers and the recipients, us, to have full access, the fullness of our salvation, access to God. And I think that's why the writer of Hebrews says it in Hebrews 4.14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. So we have full access to God. No, no one was made perfect under the old covenant because Christ had not yet died. They were saved, but not until Jesus' work on the cross was complete could salvation be whole or perfected. Does that make sense? 
It's confusing. Scholars, you know, scratch their head over it, so this guy's probably not going to get it right either. But anyway, there you go. Hebrews 11 in eight weeks. Cool, right? Awesome. But what, about, what do we do? Uh, I got two things, and I got no time. Number one. <laughs> Number one. In light of this, what do we do? Number one. In Christ, you will be remembered for your faith and not your flaws. You will. All these mentioned in the Hall of Faith are usually known as Bible heroes, but honestly, they really weren't heroes. No, they all had problems. I kind of walked through all their situations. If you look at most of the people on that list, uh, a church would probably never install them as an elder or a deacon. It's like, man. Uh, but even so, the author does not remember their flaws. He only remembers their, their faith. And though they are sinned, ultimately their, their lives were marked by their faith in Christ. They live by faith because their faith was not about their faith. It wasn't about them putting faith in themselves to have faith. Their faith was in an object, and it's Jesus. Um, and so I, I know it's so easy for us to say, you know what, Ty, you don't know who I am, and I've got this past. You don't know my flaws. You don't know my sins. I don't, but, but God does. And I was just reading this recently from um, Eugene Peterson. He said this, nothing from our past is thrown out with the garbage. It's all composted and assimilated into a growing life. Just grateful that, that uh, God doesn't mark down my flaws, but we're known by our faith in Christ because of Christ. Number two, my last one, don't give up. Don't give up. Just don't give up. Life is going to get hard. Uh, life is hard, and it's going to be easy to give up on Jesus. The excitement of following Jesus will fade. It will get uncomfortable. It will get inconvenient. You'll have to do probably a large portion of it by yourself at times. Or you will at least feel alone. Some of you right now probably feel super alone. Don't give up. There'll be times where there'll be many great distractions out there of marriage and children and jobs and money and stuff and hobbies and all that. There potentially will be persecution. Don't give up. Finish to the end. Mark my words, people. Listen to me. There will be seasons you will want to drift away and you will want to give up, which is a great reminder of why we need one another. We need a good brother or sister around us at all times, encouraging us, whispering in our ears, don't give up. Because when you get alone, you will want to give up. Stay the course. That's the whole point. I begin this message by saying it's annoying to look at others and feel like you never measure up. These heroes, flawed as they are, are still good examples for us to imitate in our faith. However, they inspire us. These heroes of the faith, they have no power to enable us. It takes more than an example on the outside. It takes power on the inside, and that is the good news of the gospel. The Christian life is not be like these heroes or even be like Christ. The Christian life is be in Christ. See, imitation may be helpful, but incarnation is always powerful. And that, my friends, is why we live by faith and trust Jesus, because we are in Christ. If we are in Christ now, we are empowered to live by faith. Let me pray for us, and let's go to the Lord's table together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word is relentless. Your word is just unbelievable and yet believable. You tell these, these stories of people who live by faith in you, and it doesn't point to their might. Lord, it points to your power. And God, as we read through this, we pray that we would be a people who would live by faith. God, we are so thankful that it's not our flaws that will be remembered, but it's our faith in you because of Christ. 
And so, God, would you empower us to endure? Would you empower us to persevere? I know there's brothers and sisters here right now that are just hanging on by a thread, ready to throw in the towel at any moment because it's hard, because they're suffering all that. You are the God of all comfort. Would you give them reprieve? You are the God of all power. Would you give them just the ability to sustain? Would you help them in this moment? Give them a word of encouragement. Give them your word. Whatever it may be, a brother, sister, encourage them. Would you help them today? And God, from your word, I pray that we just be a people of your word. I I pray that we'd be a people that would walk by faith. And God, as you do that, would you just give us peace? Would you give us joy even in the middle of suffering? Help us to suffer well. And may all that we do and all that we say and how we live be for Jesus and Jesus alone. We pray for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.